It was that sci-fi movie I was watching the other day in the bath, TMI. <laughs> Wait, you were watching a movie in the bath? Don't you ever watch like a Netflix in the bath? And you're like, yeah. No. No. Oh. How do you find time to take a bath? Where's all the this time, time coming from, Sarah John? and I have learned is like the escape. It's like, ah, I can't do anything for the kids. I'm in the bath. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Do you take a bath at night? Yeah. Oh, it's like the best time. The best time. The kids do you shower in the morning before work? Yeah. Are you, are you, oh, you do them both? Yeah. What is what is going on? I'm in the bath right now. <laughs> this is madness. Pod, what are you talking about? Pod bath. You're watching, <laughs> you're watching Netflix in the bath? This can't be new. What oh, are my you? gosh. It's a game changer. And you have the Bluetooth headphones. It's great. Oh, that does oh. sound nice. That does sound nice. All right. Um, I'll, have to, I'll have to grab my $4 <laughs> pair of scissors and bring them on. <laughs> bring them on over to the bath. <laughs> a little manscaping. <laughs> Just do everything. Welcome to Predator Minute, the podcast that breaks down the 1987 action sci-fi classic Predator, one minute at a time. I'm John Zabriskie. And I'm Jeff Glover. And we today we are talking minute 44 of Predator. Minute 44, you, you absolutely should call the Hank Aaron of minutes. Fastball is a high drive into deep left center field. Buckner goes back to the fence. It is gone. Hmm. Hammer and Hank. Uh, classic. Yeah, it's a big name. Big name this week. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, tell me a little bit about your history with Hank Aaron. <laughs> uh, my history is that I know he's a baseball player. Yeah. Uh, he he held the record for the most home runs, right? Yes. Does he still hold that, or did Barry Bonds break it when he was taking all the drugs? Yes, Barry Bonds. Broke it when he allegedly took all the alleged drugs. Allegedly, when he allegedly played baseball. <laughs> Got it. Uh, and was not alleged. No, definitely not allegedly. And then he was not Barry Bonds elected to the Hall of Fame. Somehow, right. what? <laughs> somehow, come on. Um, but that's the extent of my Hank Aaron knowledge. I guess I know what like any casual sports fan would know about Hank Aaron. Yeah. Um, interesting uh, tidbit uh, that I, I remember reading about this in language arts. It's just kind of. Tumbled into a, a baseball story when I was teaching a few years ago uh, that I really appreciated. It was all about Hank Aaron. And one interesting tidbit is that when he was a kid, when he was growing up watching baseball and playing baseball, I forget where he lived, Alabama, I think. Hmm. Anyway, wherever he played as a youth, uh, there was one point in time where Jackie Robinson and the Brooklyn Dodgers came to play. So our minute 42 hero, Jackie Robinson, breaking wow. the color barrier of baseball, was this icon to Hank Aaron, which is super cool to think about this yeah. you know, real-life legend playing in front of you and then you becoming a legend yourself. That's like out of a that's out of a movie. Yeah, it's like yeah. out of a movie, but like it's real. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like this movie. <laughs> this movie really happened, the events it's of 1987. Really, this is a we're we're watching a documentary, right? <laughs> I'm afraid so. There's just <laughs> yeah, so many bodies in this movie. <laughs> just bodies. Just bodies. Just bodies. Just bodies. <laughs> just bodies. 
Um, so just a few notable 44s this week. These are all Hall of Famers. You have Reggie Jackson, also baseball. Mil- Willie go. McCovey. Willie McCovey, also Hall of Famer. I don't know anything about any of these people that you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you probably remember Reggie Jackson. From I remember Reggie Jackson. role from Naked yeah. Gun. Yes, <laughs> I, I must do. kill the queen. I must kill the queen. Reggie Jackson. <laughs> Re- Reggie... <laughs> Reggie Jackson stole all the bases, right? He was super fast. No, not as Ricky Henderson. Oh, damn it. <laughs> Is that true? Am I? Oh, shit. I suck. Ricky, oh. Ricky kind of coined the phrase like blank being blank, Ricky being Ricky, where he would uh, just be so odd and he would like he would pick up the base after he stole like a milestone base. He'd just make it out of the ground. <laughs> say, I love We're going to save that's this. Awesome. Like in the great. middle of the game. Yeah. <laughs> I need anyway. to stop trying to pretend like I know anything about baseball players, <laughs> I think is what we've just learned. Mm. Oh, Barack Obama, another famous 44. There you go. Oh, hey, yeah, yeah there 44th you go. president of the United States. All right. Thanks, Obama. Thanks, Obama. Speaking of Obama, number <laughs> minute 44 of Predator <laughs> opens with Panchito looking at some guts on the ground. Ugh. And it ends with Panchito asking, ¿Qué pasa, mujer? <laughs> mujer? 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 He's just, oh, lo- love the dry, intense that he has going on here yeah yeah well he has reason to be upset as we will discuss here the opening shot of this minute or the continuation of the previous uh minute is a a nice zoom in on some guts yeah yeah. and it's just front and center on the camera and we just are forced to linger on it for about two or three seconds <laughs> until we cut back to Poncho doing exactly what the rest of us want to do. Exactly. Which is almost vom in our mouths. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's just telling you it's, it's okay. I like you saying like, yeah, give her permission to, I give her permission to just gag right now. Cause that's what I'm doing. Barforama. Yeah. It's pretty gnarly. Uh, the lasagna, if you will, <laughs> uh, of Hawkins. Oh my gosh. I, I can't wait to like, listen to that. Limerick again. Oh, can't wait. It's going to be so good. There once was a nice guy on a choppa. He killed bad guys who lived in palapas. He made Billy croak with a vagina joke. But what's left of him now resembles lasagna. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm excited to make more limericks. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We'll 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 have a celebratory limericks for all of our cast members, I've decided. So awesome. stay tuned, folks. Stay tuned. It's official. It's recorded, so uh you're being helped to it. Yeah, right. I have to follow through. All right. So uh Poncho does what we're all thinking and does a little like almost puke into his mouth and looks away. And then we cut, and uh, we're going to get a series of quick shots here establishing Dutch and uh, the rest of the team discovering what Poncho has already. And so we get Dutch jumping over a log very athletically and yelling orders, Billy, break left, Mac, break right. Billy, break left, Mac, right. (laughs) Dylan follows Dutch. Dutch crouches and looks at Anna. (laughs) Dylan! Dylan! And he, he crouches down and looks at Anna and she's covered in blood and, and not speaking and kind of staring off into the distance and just says, what the? What the? <laughs> so uh, what, what do you have to add here about the, the beginnings of this uh, sequence, John? Arnold being athletic, like you mentioned, it's good to see on screen a, a little bit of nimbleness as he leaps a log. 
and they're probably adding some lines here post-production with the whole Billy break left, Mac right. Yeah. Uh, but I like the establishment of this is your leader and he's still giving out commands, even in like the heat of a chase that something right. just totally unpredictable happened. That's a true mark of a leader just taking on adversity as it comes. Yeah. And so uh, that's a good point. So Dutch crouches down and we get some nice handheld camera work here as the camera mm. sort of swings around behind and we get a shot of Anna and we can see that, oh yeah, she is freaked out and covered in blood. Um, and then we see Billy making his way to his little post and uh, cut back to Dutch back. and back. <laughs> cut back to uh, Dutch and Dylan. And Dylan. <clears throat> Dylan. Dylan. And they, and, uh, they are assessing uh, Anna and <clears throat> trying to figure out what has happened here. So we get some dialogue. We went from a dialogue-free minute to quite a bit of dialogue here. Are we wanting to dramatic line read uh, this the rest of this scene, or uh, what are you what are you thinking here? We we can do it all in one all yeah. in one fell swoop. I like it. Okay, so uh, we, he gets the what the, uh, and then Billy takes his position, and Dutch uh, informs us that this isn't her blood. This isn't her blood. Yeah, I, I'm wondering how how do you know that? How can you tell that right away? What's what's the telltale sign? I don't yeah. know anything about blood spatter or anything like that. I, that was my first thought too. I was like, how does he know that just by looking at her? But maybe he's looking at her and, and seeing that she doesn't have any injuries on her face mm. and all this blood is like splattered on her face. So you'd think it would, you know, he's looking around for some sort of injury. So maybe his first instinct in that case was in fact the correct one, which is that this isn't her blood. That's all mm -hmm. I can really think of. Maybe magic. And I'm, <laughs> I mean, this team probably has lots of experience seeing blood on people. So True. Yeah. knowing right away if this is right, the person bleeding or someone else's blood. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's already a good soaked shirt and good soaked hair and face and El, yeah. El Padillo Carrillo is really selling the the shock of the event of having someone cut open right in front of her. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Like she is kind of covered in blood at this point. <laughs> um, it would be hard for him to really know if it was hers or not. This is her blood. <clears throat> you know, it pushes the uh, it pushes the scene along, pushes the story along, and then he uh, Dylan uh, Dylan. Dylan. Dylan starts to blame Anna and says, what the hell did you do to him? What the hell did you do to him? And that's when Ponchito walks slowly out of the jungle behind Dutch, carrying Hawkins' gear. Yeah, anything else left for this little part here? Um, I guess I'll add on that you have the Sylvester score going on in the background. Oh, yeah. It's definitely moved on from the chase music to the suspenseful, haunting, just kind of not knowing what's next uh, music, which... Um, I didn't say this a long time ago when we first saw the strung up bodies of Hopper and his men, mm. but I feel like a, a strong connection back to then um, because he was playing similar music, not exactly the same music, but similar music where it's just kind of like this almost Raiders of the Lost Ark ish arc theme where it's a uh, haunting suspenseful. Yeah. There's a, there's a horror tinge to it. Yeah, you're right. It does remind me of like when Indy is like, you know, not necessarily in an action scene and he's, I don't know, maybe creeping along a tunnel or quietly discovering something important. Like it has mm -hmm. that same very, very similar kind of low strings, dun, 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 you know. <laughs> yeah, something important and dangerous at the same time. Right, right. It gives you a little bit of a sense of dread, a little sense of suspense, but uh, it's it's low. It's not, um, it's not 
overwhelmingly loud. Um, all right, so Poncho comes out of the jungle here carrying mm-hmm. Hawkins' gear, and you know Dutch is still kind of uh, tending to Anna. Then Poncho exclaims, "Major, you better take a look at this." And casually, Dutch just kind of says, "Did you find Hawkins?" Mm-hmm. And then we get the great line. This is such a great line. Poncho says, "I can't tell." Major, you better take a look at this. Did you find Hawkins? I can't tell. And yeah. we get Arnold's reaction to that is is pretty great. So so early on we talk about Dutch's good facial facial Arnold's good face acting, where Punchy is asking him about do you, do you remember Afghanistan? Oh yeah yeah yeah. Oh that's right. What does he say? <laughs> he says he says trying to forget it. Come on. That's right. <laughs> and he's kind of jovial at that point as he's interacting with Panchito, and then as yeah. Panchito moves on, he has to his his face just kind of settles into this serious grim. That's right. Expression. Yeah. Yes, we talked about that, and and he, the, we get some of that same work here. Where yeah, his, and this is this is purely kind of yeah yeah purely reactionary, but yeah, the face is dropping, and he's looking often in the distance he has that stare fixed uh, past on it at first and then he makes eye contact with dylan and we're gonna see a lot of his face acting really carrying his moments when he's one-on-one with the predator yeah when there's like no dialogue in in that you know that act of the movie act um act i mean we really rely on just you know arnold and and his uh, silent acting really um, yes, yeah, so we're getting a little taste of it here. It's it's really effective. Also, just the simple trick of John McTiernan to not focus in on Panchito at all when Panchito's delivering that I can't mm-hmm. tell line. Panchito's mm-hmm. totally out of focus and Arnold's in focus the whole time, giving us the connection of just the reaction, uh, almost like this Spielbergian shot. I think it's called the Spielberg shot where you have just the reaction of the face of the person that we're connected to. We're not even seeing like, we don't know mm. what Panchito's face looks like at this point. At this pace, at this point, Panchito probably has a very somber, shocked in his own way kind of face. Yeah. Do you think it is it called Spielbergian? Did, did he make this famous like in Jaws probably or something? Yeah. In Jaws, in E.T., the Indiana yeah. Jones trilogy, where you just, you see the face of the main character first before you see what they're looking at, before you see what we're supposed to react. We're being told this is an appropriate way to react. So, right. If we right. had a Spielberg shot for this one, it would have been if Panchito it's just looking. We don't see the guts at first. And then we still are just on Panchito's face and he looks away to throw up. And then we see the guts. That would have been more of a Spielberg shot. But right, right, I think, right. I think there's a, a hint of Spielberg right here where, yeah, he's, we're just reacting based off Dutch's face. Like this is not what Dutch wanted to hear, or was expecting to hear. Well, not to leave out Carl Weathers because we get a nice little quick reaction from him too. Mm-hmm. Also looks worried and distressed. Yeah, so now the team moves back into the jungle to go see what Panchito has discovered. And they all now get to see the pile of guts and try not to throw up in their mouths. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, let's all go see it. Did you ever see that SNL sketch from, like, a long time ago? Tom Hanks was, I guess, is probably in the 80s, early 90s. And they're just doing this this funny carryover scene, or I don't know what you'd call it. It's like pass it on kind of scene where... 
you know, someone takes a drink of milk and they say, oh, this milk is just so sour. And then someone's like, oh, don't let me try it. Let me see it. And they go, oh, that is so sour. And they kind of pass it around. They keep doing that thing. They're like, oh, this chair is like really uncomfortable. And they're like, oh, yeah, let me, let me see it. Like, oh, yeah, that's really, really uncomfortable. It's like, let's all go look at these guts. Oh, right. yeah, that's really gross. Oh. oh, It's like when someone says, oh, smell this. It smells so bad. Exactly. Right. <laughs> like, no, I'm not going to come smell it. But D- Dutch, to his credit, he is not looking to the side ready to barf he's showing a little bit of a sterner stomach he is he just he just takes it in he stares Mm -hmm. at it and just lets it wash over him um and we get some more (laughs) we get some more dialogue here (laughs) he says to panchero says what it's just bodies just bodies (laughs) just bodies (laughs) oh man a whole different movie would have had arnold like with some quip right there i can't think of something off the top of my head but like I think we're missing out, right? <laughs> we're we're not, not on, sorry. I guess I guess if if he had a funny quote, yeah, that's in one way. But I think we we're missing out in like this seeing him act this dramatically during an action movie. I think we missed out on a good dramatic turn for mm. him in later movies. I think he just went I don't know full comedian or full robot, and I think we really missed out on him mm. being this kind of like leader or rough and tumble character who's not all fun and games or who doesn't always have yeah. because he doesn't to be effective we, we see that here and um it's it's, a, it's kind of a shame to me yeah you see some other uh you know action stars of this era that have gone on to do like more dramatic stuff like mm-hmm. uh sylvester stallone is one that you know he's in the new creed movies kind of in a more serious role yeah um jean-claude van damme even has kind of his characters in his later his work in the last decade or so have been more serious and less campy and um in some cases a little more meta yeah it, i guess i guess arnold had to take a hiatus from it all to go be the governor the governor of california yeah <laughs> california california so uh, back to the minute here, we get some dialogue, right? Yeah. So you want to do a dramatic reading? So are we going to back up and do the whole thing here or just do this, uh, this section? I, th- I think we have to. Let's do it justice. Okay. Okay. So I'll be the red dialogue just randomly because red is my favorite color. You can be the orange one. Is that all right? Sure. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be Panchito. <laughs> you, you be Dutch. I'll be Dutch. Right. It's got fairly so spurt. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Billy. Okay. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Major, you'd better take a look at this. Did you find Hawkins? I I can't tell. Walk 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 walk. What in God's name? I think it's Hawkins. Where the hell is his body? There's no sign of it. Ask her what happened. Quack, 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 quack. Que paso, mujer? Mujer! End. Scene. End Scene. minute, actually. Yeah. End minute, yeah. Scene's not minute. quite over. Yeah. No. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. Very nice. Wow, the applause out there is deafening. You're welcome, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> sit down, sit down. Please, you're on the road. Please. please <laughs> you're on please. the airplane, please. <laughs> <laughs> we have some podcasts to record. <laughs> Uh, uh, so I, I, this, just saying it right there, the whole major, you'd better take a look at this. That reminds me of uh, Billy having something extra to say in the beginning when they found the snuggle shack and he's saying, hey, there's something else. There's like these yeah. tr- these uh, boot tracks. And also when he's being when Dutch is being called away from the Dylan conversation in the camp, 
to Hawkins, who's telling him about what he's picking up on the radio about the surrounding guerrilla forces. Mm. So it's, it's definitely like the, like when you're a teacher, when you're a teacher like me, hey. like you're just always being kind of pulled to the next thing. Like, Mr. Z, Mr. Z, I need this thing. Mr. Z over here. Mr. Z, I oh my forgot God. to tie I my know. shoe. And Mr. Z, I need a drink of water. And Mr. Z, where Solve do I turn your assignments? Problem, kid. <laughs> Figure it's it like, out. God. Shut up. <laughs> That's what Dutch should be saying. Shut, the, shut up. Figure it out. Shut up. It's all bullshit. <laughs> That's what I want to yell to my students. It's all bullshit. Stapler is in the same place it was seven months ago. It's all bullshit. <laughs> so, any, anything you want? Anything you want to take away from the uh, the Dutch and Ponchito exchange here? We're we're in the portion of the movie as we've talked about a lot, where we have the genre shift here. And it's almost like we as the audience have already know that the genre shift is happening. It's like now all of a sudden the characters are catching up with us. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and with, you know, all the dialogue that we get in this minute and coming up, it's, it's them processing like what the fuck is going on in the jungle right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is, you know, the first time that, that, that the predator has, has taken out one of their team yeah, so they're appropriately dismayed and and uh, shocked and are uh, not quite sure what to make of it. Right, they don't know what's happening. I like how you're saying that they're they're catching up. They don't know if this is a guerrilla force or some other force. And uh, we see Poncho is is you know people react to stressful situations in different ways, and Poncho clearly uh, is showing some anger here as mm-hmm. as he shouts at at Anna trying to get some answers, but she doesn't have the answers that he's looking for, at least no, not yet. Not and, yet. Um, yeah. And so, you know, we see different reactions from different characters. I think appropriately, you know, uh, Dutch stays cool and calm. He's clearly, ups- you know, shocked and upset, but doesn't lose his cool. Poncho does a bit. He starts yelling at Anna. Dylan is just stoically watching all of this unfold. Mm-hmm. And that, those are the only three characters we really get uh, so far. Yeah, and I have to imagine that Mac and Billy and Blaine are just doing their sentry duty and just standing guard. They're not taking mm-hmm. in the uh, the scene yet, the carnage. I haven't seen the lasagna. Haven't seen... Speaking of lasagna, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, for one, lasagna used to be my favorite food, and now it's pizza. But hey, lasagna's still up there, but I don't know if it's going to be up there for very long. <laughs> but right. speaking of lasagna, never, <laughs> yeah, the limerick really, the, the lasagna limerick really, really uh, <laughs> took me back. But Hawkins, according to TV tropes, was the sacrificial lamb of this movie, where you kill yeah. off the most innocent of your characters first to one impress your audience, especially like a horror going audience. Yeah. <laughs> They're gonna those horror nuts are gonna eat this up. Right? Right. Yep. Nope. <laughs> yeah. You got to have a kill early on to uh, keep everyone interested. And, uh, and yeah, it needs it, it. A lot of times it is going to be the most innocent person, the, mm-hmm. the, the least, um, maybe least, well, maybe it's obvious to a horror uh, watcher, but maybe least obvious to your casual viewer. Um, I think it's, I, I, you put this in your notes and I think it's spot on. Like a lot of times, uh, screenwriters or directors will do this to let it be known to the audience that anybody can die. 
mm-hmm. right? Like there's there's no rules here. Uh, anyone is is fair game. Can I can I give you my favorite example of that from a horror movie? Oh, please. That's that's where I was going to go with this. I have a few of my own examples after Ooh. your awesome this, example. This just popped into my mind, and it's by okay. far my favorite example of this sort of thing. It's from Friday the Thirteenth Part Two. <laughs> And I think I know where you're going with this. Do you? And is this the guy in the wheelchair yes. taking a machete to the face? I think his name is Steve. <laughs> and fucking Steve's in a fucking wheelchair. In a wheelchair. Like defenseless, essentially. And he is the first one, I think either the first or second one to get killed. His wheelchair plays like an integral part in his death, even. I mean, sort of. Like, he gets whacked to the face with a machete. Whacked! Whacked! But then, like, to add dramatic flair, he rolls off the porch. Yes! Rolls backwards down the stairs without falling. He stays in his seat the whole time with the machete stuck to his face. Yeah. it's one of my favorite. I love the Friday the 13th series. It's one of my horror kind of comfort food um, mm-hmm. franchises. And that, that is up there in one of my, probably my top five moments of the whole series, just because it, as soon as that happens, you're like, oh shit, okay, here we go. Like they just right. straight up first degree murdered the dude in the wheelchair. Like at minute, I don't know, you know, 46 or something. Right. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So that's my best example of that. Also, mm-hmm. Friday the 13th Part 2, one of the best of the series. Everyone check it out. Don't crash the recommends yet. Let's, uh... Right. <laughs> <laughs> this 40-year-old movie. <laughs> so did you have some, uh, some examples of this happening yourself, you said? Yeah, and there's one I have to ask about too because I don't really know because I don't know this, rec- re- yeah, this reference. But uh, I'll know the first few here. Um, at the beginning of Temple of Doom, Indiana Jones is doing some dealings uh, for an archaeological item oh, with... Yes. Um, yeah, some uh, rich businessman in where is it? is it in Shanghai? I think it's yeah, in Shanghai. They're in that like speakeasy club or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah the speakeasy Shanghai club. Oh, Club Obi One, by the way. I don't know if you caught that. Is that right? Wow. Yeah, it's nice. called Club. I, lo- I love that little yeah. tie-in. So fun. That's nice. Yeah, Indiana Jones minute plug there for you. There you go. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> but in in the beginning, he's. Uh, in the dealing they're holding, they're training guns on him as any back dealing uh, is going to end. And then his backup is this uh, waiter named Wuhan mm-hmm. uh, who's holding a gun to the bad guys, but the champagne bottles all go off. And then uh, one of the pops happens to be a gunshot that uh, hits yeah. his little sidekick, not little, his, his sidekick Wuhan and Wuhan basically dies in his arms and is talking about these adventures he and Indy have or see that had in blood. the past. Yeah. I followed you on many adventures into the great unknown mystery. I go first, Indy. That on his white coat jacket, right? Yes. Just uh, a master yeah. movie making by great Spielberg. Yeah. And right, he's alluding to all these adventures they had that you're never going to see or learn about. But here's this, I don't know, youthful, innocent looking character, bless you, uh, dying <laughs> right in the first couple of minutes of Temple of Doom. Yeah, that's a good example. Nice one. Yeah. Uh, there's also any kind of red shirted ensign from Star Trek. Oh, is that a thing? Yeah. And yeah, just ask Adam about it sometime. Adam Panica, <laughs> say, hey, red, red shirts are a thing, right? <laughs> there, there's a, yeah, because like every episode, they'd be like, 
okay, so to the surface, we're going to send Captain Kirk, we're going to send Spock, and <laughs> Ensign O'Malligan, <laughs> who's wearing a red shirt. You're thinking, and which one's not going to come back? Jerry. <laughs> Jerry from accounting. <laughs> right, yeah. Let's bring up David from the HR department. Yeah. Boy, my first mission. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> uh, Julianne Moore in Children of Men in that in one mm. of the the few long scenes in that movie, she dies in the car ride through yes. the woods with all the people coming down through the woods. Oh, such a great scene. Yeah. yeah, one of those great shocking scenes. Whoa, what? Drew Barrymore in Scream. Famously. Oh, good one. Yep, yeah. famously. Yeah. Kill off a famous person in the first 20 minutes. Yeah. yeah. Someone who's known. It's like at the time, I think she's mostly known for child acting and E.T. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe a few other movies. But yeah. Totally. Rom-coms, I think. Yeah. What was that? A few rom-coms. Yeah. I think. Uh, Steven Seagal and Executive Decision. Oh, fucking good pull, dude. <laughs> yeah. That's a great call. Yeah. Um, although that might be Sacrificial Lion, but we'll touch on that. <laughs> we'll touch on that when we hit upon Blaine. Sacrificial Douche. <laughs> Sacrificial douche. <laughs> the gall's a douche. Uh, here first. Don't at me. <laughs> Steven Seagal. <laughs> yeah. He's going to get angry. He's going to hit my DM. <laughs> Keep the change. <laughs> uh, in Star Wars, of course, famously, Luke's aunt and uncle, Aunt Baru and Uncle Owen. Yeah. They're yeah. fried off screen by the stormtroopers and the comes across their bodies, the just bodies. Right. Right. Just bodies. <laughs> just bodies. Just bodies. Uh, and then this note was in TV Tropes. It says, Death Proof with the first protagonist cast. Yeah. If you could talk about that for a minute, because I know that's one of your all-time greats. Yeah, Grindhouse. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, Death Proof is a movie that's really broken up into two halves, and we have a completely different cast of characters in the first half versus the second half. Ooh. Yeah, and so Tarantino does this great thing where he, he, you know, I think a lot of other directors, if they were going to do this, where introduce a bunch of characters and then kill them off in an incident, they would do that rather quickly. Tarantino does not. I mean, mm-hmm. by the way, sorry, spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen Death Proof. <laughs> but, uh, oops. Um, but he, it, it's drawn out. Like we get to know this cast of characters for a good, God, I want to say at, at least 45 minutes whoa Um, and it's a group of girls young women i should say and um they live in austin texas and it's kind of it's a one crazy night type of story where they're um it starts with them in the afternoon and they're driving to the bar and kind of what transpires over the course of the bar um but then that's when we meet our um antagonist uh kurt russell playing uh Stuntman Mike, I don't want to give away too much, I guess, sure, although I've kind sure. of spoiled already. But in the end, we we lose that entire cast of characters to our, uh, our serial killer, uh, Stuntman Mike. Wow. And and then the movie picks up again with a brand new cast of characters, also women. And Stuntman Mike comes back into play with this group with a decidedly different outcome. So, mm. Yeah, that's a good one. I wouldn't have thought of, but it's absolutely right. Like they they build up this story with this group of people, and then, boom! Right, like halfway through the movie, when you're not expecting it, they're all gone. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for explaining yeah, so that. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Sorry to anyone who hasn't seen Death Proof. If I just ruined it for you, I didn't. <laughs> probably should have warned you ahead of time. My bad. Yeah. 
but it's all right. Uh, all right. Uh, hey, a good little aside there. Did you have any others to add? Uh, none I could think of because the ones, I think the one I plugged in, well, actually, I don't think I added any from uh, that were different than TV tropes. I couldn't really think of any others. Uh, where yeah, those were all really good. And then my Friday the 13th one is is the one I always think of for that thing. So mm-hmm. all right. I think we did a do, do justice, due diligence. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think the last couple things I'll add is that in the commentary, John McTiernan is finally coming around, coming around to talk about the, the active, active camouflage costume. He's not talking about this oh. scene, of course. He's he's backtracking all the way back a few minutes. He's talking about uh, that hole in the jungle effect was the the man in the red suit. And I saw this in your notes. I'm sorry to interrupt, but um, right. the, the, the description you gave uh, of or kind of how he describes it, it makes a lot more sense. And I, I find it fascinating. So I think our listeners might enjoy it as well. So go ahead and... Uh... Yeah, I'll talk I'll talk a little bit about that too. Um, but just, oh, okay. to, just to finish, uh, but McTiernan really initially wanted a monkey for those kind of high-flying acrobatic scenes. <laughs> and they were oh, going to put the red suit on the monkey. But the, his explanation is that the red suit was embarrassing the monkey so much that the monkey just wouldn't do anything. He'd just hide behind trees. <laughs> I, lo- I love that idea. This this monkey just, no, nah, this is not working. Right. Like You're going to have to get me out of this suit. I'm going <laughs> to... I'm gonna need to go oh play God. with my monkey friends. I'm so glad that didn't work, though. Yeah, in, in hindsight, like that would have been. Ugh. Yeah, that's kind of icky feeling. Yeah, yeah, not good. Not good. <laughs> come on, monkey dude. It's like, no, come on, McTiernan. Yeah, yeah. You, you killed a scorpion. Let's let's stop there with the <laughs> right, right, <laughs> the animal abuse. Yeah, uh, but I I was able to find a little bit more easily digestible information for me understanding the invisibility effect on imdb uh it's this is the description and again it's much more simple language than uh joel hynek on the right vfx blog explaining <laughs> like no nah, it's just this this and this and oh yeah no <laughs> i don't know what any of those words mean but okay right uh they say on imdb the invisibility cloaking effect was achieved with a bright red suit because it was the furthest opposite of the green of the jungle and the blue of the sky uh the size of the predator the red was removed with chroma key techniques leaving an empty area the take was then repeated without the actors using a 30 percent wider lens on the camera and so you'll see you'll probably notice that when the predator is invisible in these scenes it's either a static shot no movement at all or the camera is not moving that quickly it's pretty slowly panning Mm -hmm. over uh, with the action scenes with the invisible predator so we'll watch for that when it is um, invisible time he, uh, it continues to say when the two takes were combined optically the jungle from the second take filled in the empty area because the second take was filmed with a wider lens a vague outline of the alien could be seen with a background scenery bending around its shape and i believe that goes together with what joel hynek was saying where they took that outline and they would just repeat that outline in these concentric mm. outlines just like a smaller one then a smaller one then a smaller one and then it creates this like light that bending that effect. ripple effect kinda. yes yeah, that's fascinating. I had always wondered like how they got that as a practical camera effect mm-hmm. um, to work. And that's kind of brilliant to just reshoot it. Mm-hmm. 30% wider lens and overlay the two. So you get, cause I was always wondering like, how do you, how do they get the effect of still being able to see the jungle in the background? Mm-hmm. But you also get this, this outline and that is really cool how they, how, 
how they did that. Yeah. They don't make them like they used to. No, that would no. CGI'd in these days, obviously. Well, yeah. I was I was watching online and you, there's some programs out there, video programs out there. You can just do this yourself where you're cutting around someone and creating that um, mm. invisible ripple effect. Just mm. it's like a little after effect they're adding to a video. That's how far we've gone with, with technology. It's mm. pretty ridiculous. You can just go right. out and make that yourself which hey if you do that you know let us know and we'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll talk about that later on after the recommends where you can let us know all those uh juicy tidbits about how you created your own invisibility video <laughs> but yeah uh yeah we can dive into the recommends i i believe you have a recommend that coincidentally i was going to talk about so i'm gonna let you have that one i'll talk about a different one. Oh, so kind of you hey, i was anytime. going to yeah anytime 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 I was going to talk about a, a straight-to-Netflix sci-fi movie. Uh, I'm a little bit of a sucker for these straight-to-Netflix sci-fi movies because they're usually pretty easy watches um, and kind of have interesting stories. Mm -hmm. um, and so this is one that dropped recently called I Am Mother, and uh, I thought it was pretty good. It was, uh, I'll, just to give a brief synopsis without giving too much away, it's about a, there's a android, kind of an AI robot that lives on a, or lives in a, in a, what we learn is a bunker. The robot is basically a mother raising a human child. And we learn very early on in the film that the uh, world in which we are, the version of Earth that we are uh, in, the setting is in, uh, there are no humans left. And we are to believe that this is the uh, only human in existence. And this AI robot is uh, raising it. And uh, we also quickly learn that there are a bunch of other embryos that uh, presumably will, will turn into other humans eventually being raised by this robot. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's the premise of the story. And so you can kind of use that as a jumping off point and kind of follow the it's a young girl as she gets older and turns into a teenager and a young woman and as she starts to learn more about her surroundings and starts to learn more about this ai robot that's basically her mother and uh it kind of goes from there and there are some twists and turns and some good reveals some good action some good sci-fi effects and just kind of a neat premise kind of a cool sci-fi setup that i enjoyed it it was well worth the hour and a half or so of its runtime well, way back in the day, uh, I, w I read a book by Terry. <laughs> I read a book. You read a book. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. A uh, spoiler alert, I'm not going to be talking about that book much. But that book was originally written by Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman. Um, Neil Gaiman, known for Stardust and other fantasy kind of books, maybe some sci-fi in there. I'm not really sure. I haven't read a lot of Neil Gaiman, but I have read a ton of Terry Pratchett. He's mm. um, probably my favorite author. He wrote this whole series of fantasy books that took place on a world called Discworld. And what I like alongside of um, the setting and just the general magics going on in these books is Terry Pratchett's sense of humor. He has this wicked, wicked sense of humor. And just the way he phrases things is so spot on and just so clever that you're wondering, wow, he's making it look so easy. Um, but these two authors joined forces in, I believe, the late 90s, maybe early 2000s, uh, hmm. to write this book called Good Omens, a standalone work about uh, the coming end of the world, this uh, coming battle between heaven and hell, between angels and demons. Uh, and Neil Gaiman is able to keep the whole story grounded, and Terry Pratchett is able to work in his goofy, uh, eclectic 
eccentric characters and his sharp wit and sense of humor throughout. And just recently, Amazon put together a uh, a show based on this. Uh, I don't know how many episodes are in this show. I'm on episode six. My guess is there are probably just six episodes because it's British and British things tend to be hmm. shorter and of higher quality when it comes to TV. Um, but so far, I am really loving this series. Like I said, Amazon video. So you can find on Amazon Prime uh, or Prime Video, Video Prime. <laughs> Whatever it's called these and days. <laughs> what's the title of the show? Is it the same called, as the book? Yeah, Good Omens is also the title of the show. And oh. by far the highlight of the show, as well as the book, is the relationship between uh, this angel, Aziraphale, and this demon, Crowley, or Crawley, uh, who have been living on Earth since the beginning of biblical time. So you see their journey together throughout Adam and Eve, and then throughout different historical events, interacting with Shakespeare, they're interacting with uh, the French Revolution, World War II, um, and their relationship is just magical in the book and especially on screen. The two characters or the two actors have really good chemistry um, and their whole deal um, is that they don't want the end of the world to come because they just love living the human-like earth life. So they're mm. doing all they can to put off the end of the world and like stop right the, the Antichrist from coming into power and making Armageddon come about. <laughs> so there's a lot of humor there are a lot of good characters uh some yeah some uh, deeper thinking kind of motivations going on i highly recommend it good omens find it on prime video i think it's honestly better than the book because it's probably the first thing i've seen of terry pratchett's work that came to that came to the screen and that is still enjoyable a lot of his stuff is hard to translate to the screen yeah. because of that sense of humor and they do a good job because they keep francis mcnorman the voice of god throughout this series um she keeps delivering his lines just like they would have been written in the book and hmm. i think that's a, a strong way to go about that wow yeah uh that's cool i am i have heard of terry pratchett before i hadn't hmm. heard of the other author i've never read anything by either of them before though so okay um next time next time i decide to pick up <laughs> a book i don't know when that will be once my kids are moved out of the house maybe yeah. um no but uh, in uh in all seriousness uh that sounds good i'll have to check it out okay cool good cool. recommend thanks uh so where can people find you jeff my name is carl been expert no i'm on the twitter carl underscore hungus 314 i'm there jeff glover follow me on the twitters and you can find us on facebook at Predator Minute listeners Palapa. We're on Twitter at Predator Minute, and you can email any aha moments about sacrificial lambs that you've seen in other movies mm. at predatorminute at gmail.com. Predator Minute is part of the larger community of the Movies by Minutes podcast format where we break down movies one minute at a time. You can find that site at moviesbyminutes.com. Currently, there are 131 Movies by Minute podcasts with the latest ones being Akira Minute and Godzilla King of the Minutes. Oh, yeah, uh, look at that. Oh, on the subject of Twitter, I just saw a tweet from at Predator stating that this movie Predator came out today, the day we're recording, June 12th in 1987. So happy birthday, Predator. You're celebrating your 32nd birthday. Hey. Yay. Very nice. Two to the fifth power. <laughs> <laughs> All <Okay>. right. <laughs> I was going to say, who, who is it? The the Shaquille O'Neal of minutes? Yeah. Oh, no, no. Shaquille O'Neal of years. Uh, From this day on, 
I would like to be known as the big Aristotle. Oh, we're back in the sports numbers. Let's let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> so for Predator Minute, I've been John Zabriskie. And I am Jeff Glover. And until next time, stick around. Stick around. Stick around. Stick with the gorilla trail. Stick around. Stick around. I, I, I can't tell. Walk, 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 walk. Que pasó, mujer? Mujer? This is all bullshit. <laughs> you set us up. You set us up. You set us up. It's all bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>